Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back to reality with the weather. I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, we're expecting two more feet of snow. So, but uh, bum. Uh, well, we're glad to have you here. Happy spring. Uh, we've still got people coming in, so if you can scoot in, we'd appreciate it. We're really glad to have you here. We're doing this American Idol thing, not the show. I mean, it's sad the preacher's daughter got kicked off this week and all that stuff. I'm talking about the real ones, the real idols that we put up on our pedestals and we worship, okay? Uh, I guess I could have made this week about March Madness, guys. Am I right? I mean, you know, because, I mean, for a little bit of time here, those of us who love basketball are all about the games, all about the brackets. St. Mary's just jacked my bracket all up yesterday with that big win. I probably did you too. I, I mean, that's a, that's a temporary thing, okay? I'm talking about the big things that we have in our life, the, the big three, money, sex, and power. I did sex last week, money this week, and power and success next week is what we're going to talk about. Last week, and I don't say this very often, last week was one of the most important messages I've given all year. Um, I talked about sex and romance and how you can't let yourself think that somebody else, a human being, is ever going to be your number one. That you've just got to get away from that thinking and realize, even if you're married, realize that God is your number one and everybody else is your number two. If you didn't hear that, I really want to urge you to, to go online and listen, get the podcast, get a CD on your way out and get that because everybody needs to get that. Today we're going to talk about money. Somebody wrote this a long time ago. Money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once. It said... Goodbye. Yeah, you heard that too. I heard it once. It said goodbye. Some of you walked in today feeling kind of smug, a little bit, because you looked up and you saw money up here, and you're thinking, oh, well, I don't have a problem with that. I lost my job, you know? I mean, I had another friend lose their job this week. Some of you are in really hard financial situations right now. I mean, maybe you lost your job. Maybe, you know, your investments have tanked or whatever. I heard about one couple in California. They were on the radio talking. They said, you know, we'd always wanted to downsize. Now, we've just been talking about it and talking about it. So we finally did it. We went from a million-dollar house to a half-million-dollar house, and we didn't even have to move, okay? <laughs> that may be what's going on in your life. I understand that, okay, and I get that, but that also, that also might make this whole money idol thing even worse, okay, because in some ways a tough economy shows us that money's a dumb idol and God's teaching us that we can do without some things, but in other ways, we know we need it, and if you're without a job or, or, or things have been hitting you really hard, all of a sudden that money thing becomes a, more of a focus for you. Dictionary calls an idol an object of worship, an object worshiped as a god. When Moses first came down with the Ten Commandments, he looked out at the people and he got so mad, he broke them. I mean, he literally broke, he's the only person in history to ever break all Ten Commandments in one second, right? Allen Iverson couldn't do that. He broke them all right there, threw them down, and, and, and went back up and had to get them again. What was it? Do you remember why he came down and he was so angry that he threw the, the, threw the tablets down? It's because he looked out and he saw that the people, while he'd been gone for just a few days had gathered themselves around, and they had created an idol. They created a golden calf, and they were worshiping this golden calf. While Moses is up talking to the real God, he realized when he came down that they had broken rule number one and two, and he hadn't even given them to them yet. Here it is. God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, and you'll have no other gods before me. Okay? Rule number one, no other gods before me. Nothing else. Rule number two, don't make any idols in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below shall not bow down to them or worship them. Okay, well, maybe we don't have a, a, a golden calf, but an idol is anything that we place above God. So I just want to ask you during this series, what is it that might be getting a little higher in your life than God? What is it that might be placed on the pedestal instead of God? 
I'm, I'm rolling them all into money, sex, and power, but I want you to be specific. What is it that might be taking precedent over God in your life? Theme verses from 1 John 5. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. We are in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then John says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Basically what he's saying is that everything, there is, there is true and there is false. Jesus is true, everything else is false. Anytime you let something that is false get above Jesus in your life, your entire life becomes false. C.S. Lewis again said it like this. God invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. There's nothing else that can you, you can put on this pedestal that will give you happiness. You can't even ask God to give you money, sex, and power and let it be up on this pedestal without it ruining your life because that's not the stuff that you're supposed to be fueled on. So let's talk about this one. We'll put our wallet on the pedestal and talk about this for a minute. Jesus said, it's interesting, this is really interesting. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Uh, you may not know the Bible very good, but I want, I want to tell you assuredly that Jesus never says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of murder. He never says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of adultery. Why? Because nobody gets halfway through adultery or halfway through murder and stops and says, oh wait, this might be adultery or murder, right? I mean, we get what that is. We understand what that is, whether we think about it in, in that process or not. We understand that those are wrong things. What's the problem with greed? What's the problem with money? The problem with money is that we never know when we've crossed the line. We all need money. We all need a job. It's okay to have things. We never know, really, when we've gotten to the point where we've taken the wallet and we've put it on the pedestal. That's why Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Just because you have credit card debt doesn't mean you are an idol worshiper of money. Just because you have a new car or a new house or a new whatever doesn't mean that you're worshiping money. All of those things don't tell us. And the problem is the money God is very tricky. The money God keeps saying things like, well, Bernie Madoff and Donald Trump and, and those people, those are the ones that have a problem with greed. You don't have a problem with greed. You just like nice things. And I go back to setting money up on my pedestal. And Jesus said, also, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Let me just let you think about this for a minute. Does your life consist in the abundance of your possessions? John Hartberg said, Strange thing about possessions is we don't really know who possesses who. He said, when Nancy and I were first married, initially I was in school. We had no money at all, nothing but secondhand furniture. When our kids started coming along, all we had was an old, worn, brown, faded couch. And we did not care what happened to that couch. You could sit on it, play on it, eat on it, sleep on it, bounce on it. We didn't care. When I got home from work every day, I would put the kids on the couch and actually bounce them up and down on the couch and just go, yee, 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 yee. We started calling it the yee, yee couch. Daddy, can we play in the yee, yee couch? That's what we called it. Well, over the years, we saved up a little money, and we went to the store to buy our first nice piece of furniture. We bought a sofa the color of Pepto-Bismol. 
This was back in the 80s. You remember these? It was called the mauve sofa. It was really pink, but for that kind of money, it was mauve, okay? And the guy at the sofa store, when he found out we had little kids, he's like, don't buy the mauve sofa. Buy a dirt-colored sofa. But we said, no, we know our kids. We can manage our kids. We know how to handle our kids. We're okay. We brought it home. He said, anybody want to guess what the first rule was when we brought the couch home? Yeah, don't bounce on the couch. Don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't play on the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't breathe on the mauve sofa. Don't look at the mauve sofa. Don't think about the mauve sofa. Upon every other piece of furniture in the house thou mayest freely sit, but upon this sofa, the mauve sofa, thou shalt not sit, for on the day thou shalt sit thereupon thou shalt surely die. (laughs) That should be the first sign that you have an idol problem. And he said, but that wasn't the end of it. He said, this is the weird thing. Once we got the mauve sofa, then all the other furniture in the room started looking outdated, and we had to go upgrade everything, and pretty soon we had a whole room that nobody could go use. I ask you, Does your life consist in the abundance of your possessions? Has it changed for you? Has it crept up little by little to where it's on the pedestal and you don't even know it? After being married for 41 years, a man wrote, I took a careful look at my wife one day and decided to be a little ornery. I said, you know, honey, 41 years ago we had a cheap apartment, drove a cheap car, slept on a sofa bed, and watched a 10-inch black and white TV. But I got to sleep with a hot 25-year-old woman every night. Now we have a million-dollar home, $45,000 car, 65-inch TV, and a really big bed, but I have to sleep with a 66-year-old woman. You're not keeping up your part of the bargain. He said she looked at me with her reasonable, knowledgeable smile and said, I'll tell you what, honey, why don't you go find a 25-year-old hot girl to sleep with, and I'll make sure you've got a cheap car and a cheap sofa and a cheap TV. Yeah? Yeah. And and I read that, I thought, that's very funny, but but in some ways, can I just ask you this? Those of you that have been around for a while, do you remember back to the old brown sofa days? Remember back before you you, you bought the nice furniture that nobody can now use? Do you remember back when you just had the simple things? Was it a little better back then, or is it better now? An idol is... uh, anything that we put above God. Jesus actually did call money an, a God. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Uh, your Bible might have money, capital M, but it's basically what Jesus is saying is this is a, this is a rival God. This is a deity. It has all the forms of deity, really. I mean, it gives us security. It can induce guilt. It gives us freedom. It gives us power. It's omnipresent. It's omnipotent. It's all around us. And it takes the things that we have and makes them seem more important than they really are. Central plot to Lord of the Rings is uh, the ring of power, which corrupts anyone who tries to use it, however good or bad their intentions. The ring is what Professor Tom Shippey calls a psychic amplifier, which takes the heart's fondest desires and magnifies them to idolatrous proportions. My precious, right? I want to ask you, has anything crept up on this pedestal? as you're sitting here thinking about it right now, as, you, as God is getting into your heart. Is there, is there something that you're saying right now, if I just had that, then my life will have meaning. If I just had that, then I will be happy. 
If that's a relationship, then, it, then you got it last week. You realize that if you were saying, if I just had that, then, then, then something has crept up on, on, the, on the pedestal. I want to ask you today, if I just had that, what is it? That, that new car, that new house, that new thing, that mob sofa, what is that thing in your life that you're thinking, if I just had that? Well, you know what that is? Kim said this earlier, that's, that's worship. That's why money is such an easy idol. And I don't think anyone spoke for the God of Mammon any better than Gordon Gecko in the old movie Wall Street. Let's listen. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. And that was 1987, in case you're wondering. How has greed done for the good old U.S. of A? Interesting, isn't it? You know, when I decided to use that clip, I had no idea that they have made Wall Street 2. Oliver Stone has, it's, it's already done. They were going to release it in April, but they've decided to wait till September because they think it's Oscar worthy and they're going to, you know, go for all the awards. It's a crack up. You can go online and watch the trailer. The trailer's already done. In the trailer, Gordon Gecko gets out of prison. I mean, he goes to prison for his fraud and, and all the greed that he has because he thinks that's the way things need to go. And he's in prison, so he's getting out now and it's the present day. And so they're handing him all his junk, you know, here's your watch back and here's your wallet back. And they hand him his cell phone. It's one of those big, remember those big honking first generation cell phones? Here's your cell phone, Mr. Gogo. Crack me up. But it's great because so, I don't know what the movie's about. I, I, you know, I don't know any. I'm not going to recommend it to you when it comes around. All I know is there's a line in the trailer where Gordon Gecko is, is addressing a group of people and he says this. He says, I once said that greed was good. Now it seems it's legal. That's his assessment of the difference between 1987 and the present day. If you've got your Bibles, I'm in Luke 19. Uh, it'll be on the screen if you don't. I want to talk about a man who figured out he had the wrong idol and did something about it. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. <clears throat> and he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Sing it with me. And as a Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, For I'm going to your house today. All of you who grew up Catholic are looking at all the Baptists right now going, What the heck was that, man? Aren't you? I know about half of you knew that song and the rest of you think we're crazy. A lot of us grew up with this dumb little song. I, don't, I didn't learn anything from that dumb little song except that Zacchaeus was short, right? Do you remember anything about the story of Zacchaeus? Let me tell you something. I have a dog named Zacchaeus. I'm not making this up. I have a dog. He's a weird little dog, but at least he's not a cat, okay? He's a weird little dog. Why is he called Zacchaeus? He's a five-pound poodle. 
He's a wee little man. What is it, what is it about Zacchaeus? What are, Jesus brings up this Zacchaeus guy. We find out about Zacchaeus because he's a chief tax collector. Anybody working on their taxes right now? If you think that the United States system is messed up, you would not believe the Roman system. The Roman system was, hey, go collect taxes from these people, and we empower you to basically extort whatever amount of money you want. Anything that you get over and above what we need, you can keep for yourself. So basically, this guy became a mafia person. He was basically a mob boss, okay? He was so hated, even in verse 7, it says Zacchaeus is a sinner. He was an outcast. He was a criminal, okay? Don't think of IRS. Don't think of the United States. Think of a drug lord who goes into the inner city and enslaves all these poor people and gets them hooked on drugs so that they prostitute themselves. Think of a, a, a corporate robber baron who goes in and buys up companies to make money for themselves and lots of people lose their job. Think of that kind of a person who's a criminal. One of the reasons that, why, what would the reason be for somebody, a Jewish, this was a Jewish man, why would a Jewish man decide to become a tax collector? One reason, money. I mean, he is living as an outcast. He comes up to see Jesus. Nobody's going to let him in. It's Zacchaeus. We hate that guy. He's got to climb the tree. Why would anybody possibly want to serve that God? Because it is a God. Because it's mammon. One of the reasons Luke brought this up to us, Zacchaeus, was that not only was he a tax collector, he was the head tax collector, the chief, the art tax collector. He was the big cheese. Let me finish this passage from Jesus so you can understand a little bit more about what this must have been like for Jesus or for Zacchaeus. No servant can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Pharisees, who loved money, also heard this, and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Jesus uses all these biblical metaphors about, about this, this idol of money. Zacchaeus is feeling this. He's, he, you've got to either worship one or the other. And Zacchaeus has been worshiping at this idol. He's been worshiping on this pedestal for a long time, this money thing. And he knows that it's not right. And he knows that it's detestable before God. And so he decides to do something about it. Okay? And you get this because at some point, if I brought up last weekend a relationship that you knew you had that you were trying to fill up your tank with or a sexual thing that you were trying to fill up your tank with, you immediately knew that you had the wrong thing going on in your life. And today, as I mentioned money, if you've got money on the idol, if you've got money on the pedestal, you're probably knowing immediately that you got the wrong thing in the wrong place. And Zacchaeus knew this because there's something about serving the wrong God deep down inside you know that it's not going the right direction. Zacchaeus did, and he did a surprising thing. He climbed a tree. He was so eager. He was so desperate. Now, now just think about this for a minute. I know many of you grew up hearing this story, and it's kind of gotten old. Imagine we're on Wolf Road, and it's the Mokina Fourth of July parade, and, and all of a sudden you see a 50-year-old man climb up a tree so he can get a better look at the fire trucks. Will that seem a little odd to you? You know, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would. I mean, it had to seem really odd to them. Back in that day, uh, you know, the men were more well-respected. They did not run. They did not climb trees. They didn't do undignified things. Zacchaeus not only climbs a tree, you might not know this, he climbed a sycamore tree. The sycamore tree bore a fruit that they used to feed pigs. Do you know that? 
Yeah, so not all, I mean, you know, he's a Jew. Pigs and Jews, they don't, they don't go together really well, right? So Zacchaeus is not only being undignified by climbing the tree, he's climbing the pig tree. That's how desperate he is. That's how he's gotten to the point where he realized that he's got the wrong thing on the pedestal and he's got to do something about it. He was really, really ready for a new God. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be with a guest of a sinner. People love to mutter, don't they? Jesus, tax collector, bad Jesus. The word mutter is the Greek word diagogudzo, which is the same root word we get diarrhea from, people. I hate it when people mumble and grumble. If you are diagogudzoing right now because I said diarrhea, I hate that. But I understand. I understand why the people were mumbling and grumbling, and you should too. This guy is a crook, and Jesus is a rock star by this time. Jesus, I mean, why, why does Zacchaeus have to climb the tree? Because he couldn't see over the crowds. There were crowds around all over. And out of all of the people that Jesus could have gone and had dinner with, out of all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and all the religious people and the mayor and all the important people, out of all those people, Jesus picks the lowliest, skankiest sinner he can find out of a pig tree and says, hey, I'm going to your house for dinner. Isn't that crazy? Why, why would Jesus pick that loser to go have dinner with? It's a good question. Why did he pick the 12 disciples to be his followers? Why did he pick this loser to be your pastor? Why did he pick you losers to go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know, but it's awesome, isn't it? Because I'm a big loser, and so are you. Thank you. And at some point, you've got to be really happy that Jesus can go, Hey, loser, come and go with me. Because all of us, really, when we get down to it, we understand we don't deserve to be there any more than Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus, come down. I must go to your house today. Can you, I mean, that seems kind of presumptuous to us. You know, don't come up to me later and say, Hey, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Because it ain't happening, okay? <laughs> I got my nephew and his buddies. They're coming over for lunch. The rest of you forget about it. We're having Aurelio's. You do what you want. I don't care. You're not coming over. Okay? But listen, in that day, that was an acceptable thing, and Zacchaeus was really excited. I mean, he went to Mindy's and got some ribs and put on the whole thing, and they had this little deal going on. Okay? And they had, they had this communion time. They had this time in their house, in his house. I need to point out something about this, and I'd like for you to take this back out again because I've got to push small groups while I've got a perfect opportunity. In the Bible, you will find that most spiritual growth things, most of the miraculous things that happen in the Bible happened in somebody's home. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Jesus taught in the synagogue, and he had the Sermon on the Mount, and there were lots of other opportunities outside and, 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 and other places. But most of the things that you see happening, think about it. Just think of the Bible stories that you know. When something spiritually significant happened, it often happened in somebody's home. I want to really encourage you to think about getting in a small group because that's where life change happens. It happens when we're interacting with each other. And we've got a couple of things coming up next weekend where you can sign up and you can get in, in a kind of a group setting where you can just hang out with some other people and get a small group started next weekend. So take that, fill it out, think about it. That's what happened. Zacchaeus and Jesus don't have this conversation out in public Jesus comes over and they have dinner because things go around food. We get that, right? 
So they get together and they have dinner. And evidently, we don't know what the conversation was, but evidently, at some point, Zacchaeus says, you know what? I want to become a Christian. And not only do I want to become a Christian, I'm going to tell everybody right now that I'm going to become a Christian. So he opens the door and he goes back out to all the mumbling, grumbling, diarrhea people out there. And he says, hey, all you people, I've become a Christian. And they all went, yeah, right. Give me a break. You're, you're the pig tree guy, okay? And, and he goes, no, no, no. I've become a Christian all the way down to my wallet, and it probably got as quiet as it did in here back then. Because then all of a sudden they realized that he was serious. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, if, yeah, right, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I'm going to give away 50% of my income and I'm going to pay everybody back four times this is not what Mosaic Law required. This was just him going, you know what? I became a Christian and I'm going to prove it. I'm taking this off of here and I'm going to give some of it away because I want to prove that that's not on my altar anymore. I want to prove that that's not on my pedestal anymore that I really believe in Jesus. Zacchaeus is only one chapter in the Bible past the story of another rich guy who, which had a completely different ending. We don't know his name. We call him the rich young ruler. Listen to this. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. Jesus said, Adultery, don't, don't do adultery or murder or steal or false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And the man said, <clears throat> Now look, I, I've kept all these since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he said, You know what? I'm Jesus and I know you and I know you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad. <clears throat> because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's an interesting contrast, isn't it? You got a really good guy who's rich, and you got a really bad guy who's rich. The bad guy gets saved, and the rich guy doesn't. Why? Rich guy could not let go of his idol. He couldn't get it off the stand. I don't know why. Maybe he hadn't had it as long. Maybe he didn't know what a lousy God it made. Maybe Zacchaeus has just had more time worshiping at the wrong altar, at the wrong God. A rich young ruler was a good guy, though, wasn't he? I mean, I kept all these commands since I was a boy. He was like Lonnie. There was nothing you were going to say bad about this guy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what could you say? This guy's a really, really good guy. He got his money the old-fashioned way. He earned it. You know, I mean, everything. He's rich. Yeah, that's fine. But he couldn't let go of his idol. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, was a jerk. He was a crook. He was a swindler, a cold-hearted rule breaker. But he got saved. You might want to write this down. This is important. It doesn't matter how good you are. The only thing that really matters is what you worship. I know that's going to be different for some of you. You grew up thinking it was all about naughty, nice list and lump of coal and present and all that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter how good you are. The only thing that matters is what you worship. When you worship, as we'll see in a second, you will become more good. You will become better. God will rescue you from those things. But it doesn't matter how good you are. The only thing that matters is how, is what, or who you worship. This happens a lot. 
I meet people and they're really, really far away from God and they've been worshiping at the wrong altar. They've been worshiping the wrong God all this time and they're like, I can't take it anymore. I'll climb a pig tree. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I need to be saved. And they come running back to the kingdom of God like the prodigal son. Then I meet other people and they're like the older brother. They're like, oh, you know, I've kept all these rules. I've done all these right things. But you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take care of things on my own because I can work this out. I can only speculate on the conversation in Zacchaeus' house. Did Jesus bring up money? I really doubt it. I know he did with the rich young ruler because he knew that he was, it was his problem. But I don't, think it, I don't think that Jesus had to bring it up. I think the only thing that happened was Zacchaeus said, you know what, I want to become a Christian. And as soon as he decided that he was going to worship God, all of a sudden he realized there wasn't room on his pedestal for two competing things. That you cannot serve God and mammon. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And so Zacchaeus immediately said, you know what, I'm done with this. You need to remember this. When you really get converted, you will immediately know what your idols are. You will immediately know. Many of you knew last week, again, when I brought up the whole relationship thing, the sex thing, you knew immediately. I got emails from some of you. Yeah, man, I got, I got the wrong thing on my pedestal. You knew immediately. As I bring this up today, all of us can look at this and go, all of us, we all have a problem because, because there's no de- definite line when we've crossed it. We can all look at this and go, yeah, you know what? It is a lousy idol. I've been filling up my tank with the wrong thing. So the choice is today, we can walk away sad like the rich young ruler, or we can jump up and say, I am done with this God. I am done with this idol. I'm not going to do this anymore. And if you decide to do that, what should you do? I mean, oh, what a perfect opportunity for me to talk about giving to the church. No, I'm not going to do it. I know. Wayne's going to be mad at me, but I'm not going to do it, okay? But I do think that if this is really something God is in control of, you ought to do something to show God and everybody else. I triple dog dare you to do something to prove that this is no longer your idol. Give half your money to the poor. Give half your tax return to the poor. Go find somebody that you owe money to for a long time and pay them back four times over. Do something crazy to prove to yourself and to God and everybody else that this is no longer what you worship. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now some of you are going to think, well, he he changed his actions and so then he got saved. Okay? In response to in response to you know now that Jesus now that Zacchaeus said I'm going to give this money away then Jesus said okay you're saved. I don't believe that's the way it happened. Jesus doesn't say salvation will come to this house. He says, salvation has come to this house. Listen to this. God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to salvation. Don't get these backwards. Don't think that salvation is something that you earn. Don't think that if you give half your money to the poor that God owes you heaven. Don't, don't be on that works thing, okay? What happens is when you put the right thing on the altar, then your actions change. That's the way it works. Jesus replaced money on his pedestal. And any time... Jesus is on the pedestal. Everything else falls in line. Bill Hybels told an illustration I thought was really, really good. He had a friend who did strategic planning. 
a friend that was a business owner, owned multiple businesses, as a matter of fact, and he uh, did strategic planning. Some of you are in companies and you understand this. You do strategic planning from time to time. You do goal setting or whatever. We even do this as a church. We bring in somebody to help us and and we kind of try to figure out how to do everything that we're supposed to do. And and so the important thing about strategic planning is knowing your goal, right? If you don't know where you're going, you're going to get there. You got to figure out what your goal is. So this guy decided that since he did strategic planning with his company, he was going to do strategic planning with his life. So he actually played, paid for this high-priced consultant to fly in from New York, come to his house in Chicago, and do a strategic plan with he and his wife and figure out what their priorities were going to be. So he turns to them. He's in a suit. He's in their living room. He turns to them and he says, okay, here's what we got to figure out. What's going in the box? What is it that you want? What is it that is the most important thing to you? I, do you want to own an island in the Caribbean? Do you want to own 10 companies? You know, what, do you want to have this much money in retirement? Uh, do you want to do this for your kids? What is it that is your goal? We have to have a goal that we're going to reach for. So you guys talk about it for a minute and come back to me and tell me what it is that we're headed for. Because until we get this, we don't know the rest of this. It doesn't work. So the man turned to his wife and they talked for just a minute. And they turned back to him and they said, we want you to write God in the box consultant had never had that answer before. He's like, what? And he said, we want you to put God in the box because we're Christians, we're believers, and Jesus died for our sins and he saved us and, and, and we will worship nothing ahead of God. So we want you to put God in the box. So the man was kind of befuddled, but he turned, he's, I'm not sure he knew how to spell God. He wrote God in this box right here. And they continued from that point on for several hours in their living room to try to figure out how to do a strategic plan with God in the box. And Bible said, you better figure out what goes in that box because the whole trajectory of your life will flow out of what you put in this box. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. What is it that you need in your life more than anything else? Do you need a relationship? Do you need money? Do you need power or success? Or do you need a savior? So as we turn to communion right now, we're going to think about this whole thing. We're going to try to figure out what this whole thing means. And here's the problem. Some of you are feeling like Zacchaeus today, and you're like, wow, I am so far away from God. I've been worshiping at the wrong altar. I had the wrong thing on my pedestal. And you're really, really desperate to come to Jesus right now, and you get that. I understand that, and you are welcome here. I hope you understand we're all a bunch of Zacchaeus. There's no doubt about it. Some of you walked in here, and you're like, ah, I think I got things pretty well worked out with God. You know, my... My nice list is better than my naughty list, and Santa's been good to me, and I think God's going to be good to me, and I think everything's going to work out. And you're like the rich young ruler, and you've you got some stuff on the idol. You've got some stuff on the pedestal that you know, you know it's there if you're honest with yourself. You know you need to switch places, and you need to get God up there. You're, you're the ones that are even harder, because you don't want to let go of those things. I want to encourage you as we take communion right now, no matter where you're at on your journey with God, that you and God get right here for a minute. That you come to God and say, God, I do need a Savior. I, I am a loser. I can't do these things on my own. I haven't kept all the commandments. I certainly am never going to ever be able to keep all the commandments. I need a Savior. Here's the good news. You don't have to climb a tree. 
Because Jesus already did. He climbed up on the tree, climbed up on the cross, and he died for our sins so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Jesus, be with us as we commune with you right now. And if there are people in here who never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, whether they're far away like Zacchaeus or close like the rich young ruler, I just hope that they will open up their heart right now and, and say, Jesus, come on in and have dinner. I need a Savior. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I, I, need, you to be, I need you to be the real God in my life. The idols just aren't working. For all of us, as we take some time right now to commune with you, we're so thankful that there is nothing we could possibly ever do to earn a place in your kingdom and that there's no way we could possibly ever be good because you said no one, no one is righteous, not even one. You know what we are. You know who we are. You know how often we let money creep up on that pedestal. We do it. I do it. We do it all the time. Lord, thank you for a reminder today of what's really important. We need a Savior. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.